we almost always start with customer research. It's a non-negotiable. If we're not doing customer research, we're basically guessing. We're going to ask them all kinds of questions about their world. What was the ultimate trigger point that led them to looking for a solution or even considering a solution like yours in the first place? What triggered them? What motivated them? And what is the process upon which they are actually going to look for other solutions? But I think the other important thing is that these are people that you ultimately like. (laughs) You like (laughs) serving them. You like working with them. You like hearing from them. Things that indicate what a good customer might look like. You're listening to Customer Show, the podcast that explores what makes people tick, click, and buy. I'm your host, Caitlin Burgoyne. I'm a marketer by trade and a four-time founder by choice. And I believe whoever gets closer to the customer wins. So here's the multi-million dollar question. In a world where everyone is fighting for your buyer's attention, how do people like us marketers and entrepreneurs who want to drive more sales without working around the clock or resorting to shady marketing techniques? How do we persuade more customers to buy from us? That's the question. And this show has the answers. It's now easier than ever to start a SaaS business. But as most new founders learn, Getting paying customers, that part is still really, really hard. So how exactly do you go from zero people using your software to your first hundred paying customers? If that's your question, then my guest today, she has answers. Asia Arangio is the founder of Demand Maven. Asia is a SaaS demand gen expert. And in this episode, she shares her step-by-step process for attracting prospects, converting them into trial users, and finally getting them to whip out their credit card and become a paying customer. We start our conversation with Asia by hearing her explain how the sales process for software can often be quite different than it is for other types of products. So if we are selling software, we are assuming a couple of things automatically. And and even SaaS specifically has its own implications. In the software world, we're assuming that there's some aspect of the product that is digital, that this is on something that is digital. And if it's not necessarily accessible from a computer, it's accessible in some kind of way, whether from a phone, like an application or what have you. And then SaaS, I actually think, digs a little bit deeper into the overall software world. And it implies that the SaaS itself is something that is experienced, whether either, you know, browser based, or this could, of course, just be on the desktop or what have you. But it it automatically implies that they have to go online in some kind of way, look at your website, decide if the software is for them. And then they based off of whatever funnel or model you're using, either sign up directly, they might purchase a license or talk to a salesperson from there. But I think the biggest key difference, and this is really true for, I would say, most modern businesses today, whether you're in SaaS or not, but I do think that the biggest key difference is that the website is usually the core focal point from a just overall marketing perspective. And it's usually the very first impression that a buyer has of the SaaS or the product. And then the secondary piece to that is, of course, the product itself the way that you think about software, 
and the the implications that come to it from a business perspective are definitely different than having physical goods or being in like in a in a service based industry. So the there's a bunch of implications that we can certainly jump into, but I I would say from a buyer journey perspective, we're actually putting a lot of emphasis on the website. It's how your customers are going to learn about you. It's how they're going to decide if what they see is, if it resonates, if it's relevant, if it's going to solve a problem for them. And then after that, assuming that you've got a model that people can pretty easily engage in, they'll take the next steps. Well, that's so true. Like I think about how I've discovered most of the software that we use in our business. And very rarely is it from somebody showing me, you know, them using it. It's much more often having a need, asking people like, what's out there? What do you use? And then jumping on a website. And that's really the first impression. And so I understand what you're saying around it being just really the website being an incredibly important sales asset for SaaS teams. Okay, so thinking about software and software as a service, with the work that you do, it's all around getting helping people to get their first 100 paying customers. So what are some of the first steps that teams should take if they want to figure out how to attract some of those early customers? Yeah. Okay. So there's really two phases that I typically put businesses in just based off of where they're at in the journey. The first phase is we're starting at ground zero. This is that we don't have a single paying customer. And then the second phase is once we get to about the 10 to 15, the 10 to 15, however, is a pretty loose number. If you've got a a SaaS that is has much more scalability, meaning it's actually really easy to get 100 users right off the bat or 100 customers right off the bat, then we can obviously use relative terms here. But we're looking at at that first bucket of customers. And then how do we get more of those? If we're starting from ground zero, usually the process involves taking a look at the market and the landscape that we're hoping to enter and to ultimately win. And what I mean by that is, Who are the customers that we're ultimately trying to attract in the first place? Why did we build this product in the first place? Who are we really, truly ultimately serving? And then from there, there's a couple of routes that businesses can go. If they're starting from ground zero, they can use a customer discovery process to understand potential prospects in a market. This typically looks like facilitating research and interviews with potential pro- uh, with potential customers and prospects, and then getting a sense for what their pains are and if the product aligns as closely as possible to solving that. The second approach could actually be much more of a pure uh, sales process where you might actually have a really good sense of the product and then, of course, the market that the product was built for. But maybe the next step would actually just to be to go try, go actually try and sell it, especially if it's something that you're, you have a certain level of confidence in. If you're unsure, however, and you're, again, you're starting from that ground zero, then taking the more customer discovery or customer development route might actually make a lot more sense. In my experience with the founders, some of the founders I've worked with, they tend to think that they know (laughs) whether or not they do. So is there any telltale signs around whether you should spend a lot more time in the kind of the discovery phase or whether you should, you know, jump to bringing something and getting it in front of customers? Like, is it a little of both? Do you have any thoughts on that? 
Yeah. I find that the founders who jump straight into, we're actually just going to get this in into people's hands. They probably had a, a, a previous phase or stage where they focused on getting active users in the first place. And they, they might've actually run a few pilot, maybe even paid pilot programs with other organizations. We see this actually, this is really common with building software for enterprise businesses, for example. So if you've got a SaaS that is specific for enterprise, it's actually really common to identify maybe three or four potential enterprise customers and then to actually run like a six month or one year pilot program with them. And then after that, especially after gathering some data and learning as much as possible about that process, then going directly into a sales model is I think it's actually pretty common. However, there's always there's always exceptions to the rule. <laughs> always. But then on the on the other side, I think if you're if you're not in that scenario, then you're probably going to be using some kind of customer discovery process. And then also be thinking about how you can get those very first beta users. They are more likely going to be for free, but ideally they eventually move over into paid. And that is a whole process in and of itself, moving beta users, free beta users to now they maybe are closed beta users, but maybe they're paying or maybe they're just they're just outright paying for the product. And from a go-to-market perspective, anyone can sign up. There's all kinds of nuances there. And I will say that one size definitely does not fit all. But again, like if you're not as certain about moving directly into that sales phase, then I definitely recommend going more into customer discovery. Right. Okay. So let's say that the team has the product. They have a couple beta users, as you said, or maybe they've run pilots, closed pilots before. Now they're ready to say, okay, we're confident that we've got something we want to try to get people to pay for. Walk me through kind of like what the steps should be. <laughs> yes. Okay. There is kind of like a two-step process and it all encompasses interviews and research. So if you were already doing customer discovery, you are probably interviewing and talking to customers anyway about their general problems, challenges, and then of course, how your product of course could solve that for them. But once we move over into, okay, great, now we're ready to go and get more people either using or purchasing the product. What we typically do is we take a cohort of the user or customer base that we currently have today. And we look for people who are either raving fans, which to be honest, is not actually super crazy. You actually might have a few people right off the bat who do absolutely love it. But if they're not raving fans, they at least really enjoy the product. They have uh, feedback about the product that is aligned with the overall product vision that you're thinking of going in. They also just generally, they actually do like it. They do love it. And they're using it consistently. I mean, it. it we can continue listing uh, things that indicate what a good customer might look like. But I think the other important thing is that these are people that you ultimately like. <laughs> you like serving <laughs> them. You like working with them. You like hearing from them. But after that, we identify what that subset or what that cohort looks like and who who those people are. And then we're going to ask them all kinds of questions about their world. What was the ultimate trigger point that led them to looking for a solution or even considering a solution like yours in the first place? What triggered them? What motivated them? And what is the process upon which they are actually going to look for other solutions? So this is part of that customer research process. And that's that's really one one half of the very first step in this overall research phase. Out of that customer research and interviews, you're going to get all kinds of different channel ideas. You're going to ask them questions about where they hang out, where they spend their time, 
where are where are others just like them? And most, I would say most people on the planet today are, well, actually, I don't know if I can say most, but at least in the US, the UK, Europe, etc. We live in a relatively digital world now. So there's likely going to be some digital channels that you can go ahead and start researching. That's the customer research side. The other side to this research process is going to be market research. So this is the just using good old fashioned Google and also leveraging any networks uh, or connections that you might already have in this industry or space that you're trying to ultimately tap into. And you're going to start identifying all of the different watering holes and all the different places that you could potentially reach this customer segment, this audience, the people who kind of look and feel a lot like the people that you're already acquiring. Some of this you actually might already know through your discovery research process in, in the very initial phases. And some of this actually might not have ever really been done. I think the second thing here, though, from a market perspective is you're also going to research competitors and any competing alternatives, because those likely also have watering holes of similar people in that customer segment as well. You're going to take all of that insight and research and now we are going, now we have channels, we have places to reach these people. And the next thing we're going to do is we are going to figure out which ones we start with and what we actually put through those channels. Okay, let's take a quick time out. If you're listening to today's episode, I bet you're already imagining how you can apply all these ideas to your work. But before you go out and eagerly rewrite all of the copy on your website or change your whole marketing strategy, first, I need you to ask yourself this very important question. Do you know, without a shadow of a doubt, who your most valuable customer segment is? If not, you're in trouble. You don't have time to waste by chasing the wrong customers. Even with all of these ideas from our amazing guests, if you're chasing the wrong people, it's going to feel like an uphill battle. But if you're ready to stop wasting time on marketing that doesn't work and attract more dream customers, then I've got something you are going to love. I put together a free tool just for you. I call it my customer ranking calculator. Now, in a matter of minutes, this quick exercise can help you to gain clarity around which customer segments you should focus on and which ones you may want to stop serving. That sounds good, right? So if you want to download this free tool, head on over to customercamp.co forward slash calculator. That's customercamp.co forward slash calculator. Okay, back to the show. This is all so good. So as my listeners know, I'm a huge nerd for research. And you've (laughs) described two different types of research that I think people often get confused. The difference between like, you know, understanding your your customers and their buying journey and their pain points, and then looking at the broader market and where I love the term that you used watering holes. That's such a great visual. So you describe this two part process. And out of that, it sounds like they will have some idea around the channels that they want to prioritize and probably a good sense from the first part of what type of language might work, what some of the problems are that that audience might be having that they can use as creating content. So now you've got kind of like you're starting to get a fuller picture. Now, what would you say is the next step that teams should take? Yeah. 
The next step is one that it just, it really depends. I hate to say it depends, but it does kind of depend on where you're at from an overall just market perspective and business perspective. So for example, the next step would be to start thinking about either the very first campaigns you're going to run or the very first go-to-market investments you're going to make. And what I mean by go-to-market is earlier today, actually, I I gave a podcast about go-to-market. So this is fresh on my mind, but making decisions in the market that are going to ultimately help you win in that market from a full business perspective. That's a, that's a, that's the essence of what go-to-market means, but it tackles everything from marketing to sales, to product, to engineering. It tackles every single aspect of the business. So what we're going to do in this next step is we're going to take a look at what we've got so far from a website perspective, from a product perspective, And we're just going to make sure that we are crystal clear about what it is that we're going to need to invest in now to get to our very first short-term wins and what seeds we need to plant for the overall long-term wins. For example, a lot of founders will get to this stage and they'll immediately just assume that they need to start creating content or start, you know, outbound email prospecting lists, or buying lists, or running Google ads, or what have you. And sometimes that actually does make a lot of sense if it's in the, if there's been some strategic work done. But sometimes the activity can just feel very willy-nilly, and like the task wasn't really planned or thought out. So I do think it does kind of depend on just where you're at in the process. But we can generally make the assumption that we're either again running campaigns or we're making investments go to market wise. So is that updating the messaging on the website or getting a sense for what those what that content marketing strategy should look like or what that demand generation strategy should look like? What is the overall marketing strategy going to be? We're either defining and shaping those things or we're defining and shaping actual real campaigns to go ahead and start running. This is also good. And so it sounds like there's a bit of like a growth road mapping happening. Is that <laughs> fair to say that? Oh, yes. <laughs> so talk to me a little bit about growth road mapping, because this is obviously something that you are an expert in. You've got some a new program that's all about this. So talk to me a bit about growth road mapping and how that helps you get those first hundred customers. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So the growth roadmapping course was born out of the the common question that I get from founders, especially early stage founders all the time, which is, how do I prioritize all of the activities that are on my plate, all of the ideas that I have that could potentially help me grow? How do I prioritize those? And how do I turn that into a plan of action? The other side to this is I have no idea how to plan for growth or how to prioritize even in even for just the quarter, let alone for the entire year. And founders and CEOs, executives all around the world, we are probably some of the most ambitious <laughs> people. <laughs> so it's very easy to get overwhelmed when you look at your ultimate revenue or MRR goal at the end of the day, and you're just like, gosh, I really have no idea how I'm going to get there. So that's the context for why this roadmapping course was built. Now, in terms of the course itself, so it actually goes by the exact process that I use whenever it comes to 
planning and road mapping growth for my clients. So we actually start with a process that feels very much like defining strategy and overall go-to-market strategy. But by the end of it, we come away with, okay, these are the action items that we are going to prioritize first, just based off of the different analytics checks that I have you do uh, in step four, if I'm not mistaken. And then again, in step number seven, just to make sure that there are projects that don't conflict with each other. And then after that, we start planning and committing to tasks as realistically, of course, as possible, especially if you are a single founder and it's just you and there's no one else in the business. Your your time is extremely precious. So we try to be very realistic with what we can accomplish in a quarter or two quarters. But that's that's a little bit of, of the breakdown. I love that you you so clearly understand your audience. And I love that you started off by sharing that this course was the evolution of the number one question you kept getting. I think that's such an important thing for listeners to remind themselves of is you don't create stuff because you want to create it. You create stuff that solves problems for customers. So <laughs> I think that that's terrific. And also understanding, you know, that single founder, they don't have all the time in the world. So they can plan out this beautiful campaign or this, all these tactics, but if they don't have time to execute, it's not going to happen. It's also, it, it's also, very common for founders to plan this incredibly robust campaign. And it's got like all of the bells and whistles and it's like the coolest campaign, but churn is on fire. And and those are the kinds of discrepancies that happen all the time in, in growth teams in general. You, you get the shiny object syndrome and you start looking at, oh my gosh, this other founder is doing this. And I, I, I want to do something really similar because I think it's really cool. But then like the activation rates for the product are are trash. And I hate to say it so harshly, but sometimes we we end up ignoring some of the really foundational aspects of what makes a SaaS business efficient and we get distracted by other activities. So this growth roadmapping course actually also helps founders double check their work. And there's, there's two strategic points where that happens in the course as well. And based off of the kinds of projects that you like to prioritize versus the ones that probably are actually going to move the needle. That's what this will also help with. So good. And so in framing all of this, what I would love is, do you have maybe a client that you've worked with that you're allowed to share their story, or maybe we make it anonymous? Like, can you walk me through the process and how it actually worked with the company, maybe some ideas that you helped them generate and and what what they were able to accomplish? Yes, absolutely. Okay, there's there is one that I I can't say the name of, but I can definitely talk about this product and this niche. So, there is a particular product in the coffee roasting software world. I'll give I'll give that general category, which I'm not going to lie, is actually a really fascinating niche. There are coffee roasters who roast the coffee that we love and that we drink, and these roasters need to use various kinds of software to run their businesses, roast coffee and deliver either via wholesale or to retail. So there's a particular founder who he was a a bootstrap founder, if I'm not mistaken, built his product, I think maybe five or six years ago. And 
they were in a place where growth was steadily increasing, but it wasn't exactly fast. It wasn't really explosive, expansive growth. And they couldn't figure out why. They had tried a couple of tactics. They had tried running Google ads, but not for very long. I think literally for just like a couple of weeks. And they'd also tried doing some content, but then they let that go after about a month. There were a number of almost false starts in a lot of different go-to market and overall growth areas, but nothing really stuck. Nothing was really consistent. And then also the founder was overwhelmed, totally overwhelmed with information, So what I came in and did was I came in and starting with the typical process that we run in our engagements, at least, we almost always start with customer research. It's a non-negotiable. If we're not doing customer research, we're basically guessing. And I'm very much a, I'd rather just know the answer (laughs) because I'm (laughs) impatient as a person. (laughs) So I'd rather just know. And we almost always start with customer research. The, The thing that we discovered through this customer research was There were a couple of things. The first is that pretty much everyone that found this product came in through one of two primary ways, and sometimes both. They either asked another coffee roaster what solutions they were using for this particular problem, or they just Googled it and they searched the most random keywords that you could possibly imagine. Things like words that have almost nothing to do with what the software ultimately does, but it's in a general category and that was honestly enough to be able to find this this tool. On top of that, the other thing that we discovered was the main value proposition that these customers were getting out of the product was not mentioned anywhere on the website. <laughs> and when I mean anywhere, I mean literally anywhere. <laughs> so then there were a number of projects right off the bat. The first was the probably the most critical one, and that was getting the website to a place where the messaging was updated and then also our positioning in the market was very clear. There were much larger competitors in the space, these 800-pound gorilla competitors that did it all, but not all very well. And we needed to be able to really clearly and and succinctly describe exactly why you would choose this particular product over any of the others or why you would choose this product over doing nothing at all, which was another not always a very common out, but sometimes some of these roasters would actually decide to do that instead. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So the first primary project was, okay, let's update the messaging right off the bat. We're probably going to see a lift in conversion just even from doing that. And that was, again, the first thing that we tackled. The next thing that we tackled was, well, we knew that Google search was going to be something that we probably invested in long term, but there was kind of a catch to that. There was a little bit of a traffic cap, at least that we could see. So it wasn't like this this potential search traffic was like totally expansive and like infinite. It actually seemed very limited. And so we actually weighed the option of, okay, we can start investing in content marketing now, or we can actually run some tests with Google Ads first. And we opted for Google Ads first. And once we started getting that, and that combined with the website messaging being updated, we saw an incredible lift in not only the traffic, of course, but also conversion rate from really specific uh, keywords and then also campaigns that we were running. And so then the next project that we did, of course, was to optimize that traffic. We we were getting a pretty high cost per trial. And it was a, it was a cost per trial that made sense in regards to the overall LTV or lifetime value of the product itself. But it was still a little bit uncomfortably high. <laughs> so the next project was, of course, optimizing that. In the meantime, however, we were supporting on a number of really key strategic decisions. So the founder was really stuck on how do I announce 
my new pricing model to my existing customers? How do I do that? So then we crafted the messaging and the approach for how that founder should best approach that. The next thing that we did was we also took a look at the product messaging. So how do we make sure that everywhere that this product is mentioned, we're focusing on the top three core value propositions that we've heard from customers today. And then after that, the list of projects and tasks, it just expanded from there based off of where the business was at, how much time the founder had himself to actually make some of these changes and also make these decisions. And then also, what resources do we have available to us? So after that, it really just kind of became, okay, how do we establish the baseline? And then how do we start creating campaigns that generate results? This is so good. I can imagine a founder listening to this right now being like, I need Asia's help because <laughs> when you're just getting started, especially, you know, you and I, we both come from marketing backgrounds. Even as a marketer, it is easy to get overwhelmed by all of the things that you think you need to learn or all of the things that are new and that you want to make sure you're not missing out on. And so I can only imagine how much harder it is for non-marketers to navigate this landscape. And you described this challenge of, you know, not knowing which direction to run in. What should I do? Should I do content? Should I do this? Should I do that? This process that you just described helps them to leapfrog all the guessing. It helps them to start with a very clear you know, opportunity. And then from that, learn and continue to prioritize. It's so smart. Thank you. I appreciate it. And and yes, it is it's intimidating even for me sometimes. <laughs> especially especially with context and even even the purview that I might have among other SaaS businesses cuz they come in all shapes and sizes and all mm-hmm. kinds of different markets and all kinds of different backgrounds and resources and skills and capabilities. So part of my job as consultant and ultimately someone side by side cranking away in the business for you know on behalf of the founder with the founder sometimes it can you know it's almost it's almost intimidating because the more stories that you can collect in the space then the better served all future clients are so we really try to we try to learn as much as possible. And then also a future goal of ours from a demand maven perspective is to start learning in public more because there's there's tons of knowledge that we've gained that it's, it's definitely time to start sharing. But yes, I appreciate it. <laughs> It's so good. And I think that sometimes as founders, you know, having been a founder myself in the past and also wearing the marketing hat, like you forget when you bring on somebody new to your team, whether it be you're hiring a, your first full-time marketer or you're bringing in somebody like the Demand Maven team to help you, you forget how much lives in your head that they don't know. And I think that it's really easy as a founder to think, okay, I'm going to download all this information to them and they'll be good to go. But that's never enough. Like one of my favorite sayings is empathy doesn't travel through osmosis. Like Mm. you can't just like throw like, you know, a persona in front of a marketer or like tell them, you know, this is the customer and here's their pains and expect them to have the deep empathy that they need to really understand what to do next and how to serve that customer. And so I think that you've done such a great job of helping teams to bring you along so that you can deliver the most value for them. Yes, absolutely. A a huge part of our job is 
educating as much as possible and also being as compassionate as possible because this is this is not easy stuff even for us and especially not for founders and CEOs who are overwhelmed and overtaxed and very clearly need a like three week vacation. <laughs> so, yeah. but I appreciate that. I'm glad that that translates through everything that we do. Wonderful. And so you've described this wonderful example at the the coffee roasting software. But once you start to see some early wins and you start to identify, okay, like this channel is working, we're starting to get traffic, that traffic's converting. Now we've identified maybe this next opportunity or this pro- like problem to overcome next. At what point do teams typically, you know, feel like they're ready to take the training wheels off and like run on their own? <laughs> like how long do you stay with them kind of like holding their hand through this process? And at what point are they ready to go and just like, drive forward on their own. Yeah. It, it's there's a number of scenarios that we typically work with after an engagement or or working with demand maven. So the first scenario is that we continue working with them up until they reach a point where they either need to hire full time or we've entered into a pure heads down execution mode where the founder can actually go and hire a few uh, highly skilled contractors or freelancers. And then the founder is really at a place where they can start to manage those contractors and freelancers. So that's definitely one scenario. The second scenario is that we hire our replacement, which has happened a few times, actually. And that's always a pleasure for us because it means that we've we've gotten the business to a place to where now they can actually start to hire, again, someone who's 100% focused on growth or marketing, either one. And then there's other scenarios where we continue to work alongside the the team or the business. But there, it, there's a couple of things. It could be that we're still looking at new experiments, growth experiments specifically, and those experiments might be totally net new and the team isn't quite sure how best to execute them or to approach them in general. So that's definitely one scenario that we've worked with in the past. And then another scenario is sometimes we're actually brought on into really mature teams that really struggle with the overall strategy. And then also uh, marketing actually needs support really being the liaison between some of the other different teams and departments and getting buy-in from a marketing perspective and then an overall growth perspective. So sometimes that is a context upon which we work in as well. But overall, our ultimate mission is to get founders and their teams to a place to where they they know where they're headed and they know where they're going. And the only time they really need to pick up the phone to call us again is when that gets much less clear, fuzzy, growth is stagnant, not sure why, can't figure it out. And that's when we also move over into more of a troubleshooting phase. Awesome. Awesome. And it's very clear that you drink your own Kool-Aid in making sure that you're taking (laughs) your customers through, you're making sure that they get activated, that they're able to actually take action on some of the tactics that they're planning out and that you're taking them through to the stage where they can reach their desired outcome, which is they're confident and able to probably bring somebody in house full time, or they're able to continue working with some other great freelancers and you can kind of oversee them. Sounds like a great outcome for a lot of founders. So Asia, if people want to learn more about the work that you're doing at Demand Maven and about how they can potentially engage your team or learn more, if they want to kind of learn about some of the techniques that you're talking about today, where should they go? 
Yes. Okay. So there's a couple of places. The first is the easiest one. That's demandmaven.io. And from demandmaven.io, there's a couple of resources there. So that's where the growth roadmapping course is up underneath the main menu. I believe there's a resources section where you can go and check out the course if that's interesting to you. But we also have a couple of other places. The podcast is a place where if you like hearing my voice, uh, you can listen to the in-demand podcast as well. I break down all kinds of go-to-market, strategic marketing and growth concepts in in really easy to understand ways, analogies, metaphors, etc. So I tell a few stories over there. And then also our YouTube channel. So if you would also like to see my face, I do just really quick videos breaking down certain ideas. So either either medium is is there for you. Fantastic. I've learned so much. I'm sure the listeners have learned so much. And thank you. Thank you for being here. Yes, thank you so much. Namaste. Hey there. I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to the show. I absolutely love getting nerdy with you and our guests each week. It is just so much fun. And speaking of nerdy marketing stuff, have you heard about the power of reciprocity in marketing? Reciprocity is one of the best methods you can use to persuade people to take action. It's simple. Give something small for free before you ask for a sale. You see this all the time in marketing. Sometimes it's a free sample, a free trial, or even a free podcast like this one. With that in mind, I've got a small favor to ask. If you've gotten at least one aha moment while listening to the show, could you go to Apple Podcasts and give Customer Show a five-star rating? It'll only take a few seconds, and ratings are really the best way to help new people discover the show. I see every rating and am beyond grateful for each one. And who knows, maybe one day you'll need something from me and then I can return the favor for you. So thanks again.